Homo Abyssus, The Drama of the Question of Being, by Ferdinand Ulrich, translated by D.C. Schindler. Chapter 3, Being and Nothing, The Temptation of Thought. 1. Essay as completum et simplex, said non subsistens, the convertibility of being and nothing. Ipsum esse is the ultimate act, and since it is thus the actuality of all acts and the perfection of all perfections, it is the actuality of all things and even of their forms. To being, Nothing can be added other than non-being. Quod non potest esse nec forma nec materia. Being, as the first effect of God, is in its infinite actuality the likeness of God. But being does not remain stuck in itself in this actuality. To put it metaphorically, being is not caught up in and captivated by its own glory. Being is not an effective actuality in the sense of an efficiens, since it operates as the likeness of the divine goodness. Goodness, however, is described as self-diffusive in the sense that an end is said to move. And further, Thomas says, Essay itself has the character of the good. For whatever is found to have the character of an end also has the character of good. Thus, being is nothing other than self-diffusing actuality. But it does not subsist as a thing between God and the creature. Thomas therefore says, Essay signifies something complete and simple, but non-subsistent. As pure mediation, to be is not an existing thing and ends. But what does ends mean? An ends is, as it were, a thing that has essay. It is the ends alone that is a substance, which subsists. The ends is a thing that has been. The ends has been, but ends, as essay happens, is the one and only substance that subsists. For the substance is the proper recipient of essay. Now, if Thomas goes on to say that the substance is most properly called ends, then, with respect to being, which does not subsist, we can affirm that it is a non-ends in a particular sense. To say that to be is not a being, however, is not to turn it into a pure potentiality. Ontologically speaking, it is rather the case that act is always more perfect than potency. Moreover, it becomes evident that neither form nor matter is extrinsic to essay. It is never legitimate to think of essay in its non-subsistence as potency and to call it nothing in this particular sense. Not only should we say that to be is a non-being, but we should say that it is nothing. There is therefore no contradiction in calling essay as a completum et simplex, nothing, if we are thus simply bringing to expression its non-subsistent character. In thus highlighting the nothing, we are not advocating any nihilism. To the contrary, once we run through the individual speculative temptations, it will become apparent that modern nihilism has its roots precisely in the substantializing of being as such, and that the nothing, non-subsistence, has also been brought to subsistence along the same path. When we say that ipsum esse non-subsistence means nothing, we are not using the word in exactly the same way Heidegger uses it, although he seems to have the non-subsistence in view when he says, being and nothing are not given alongside one another. The one employs itself for the other in a kinship whose essential fullness we have as yet scarcely pondered. Being no more is than nothing.
The more we conceive being as fullness given away, the more its non-subsistence comes to light. The absolute intimacy of being in the creature as God's highest gift precisely excludes its clinging to itself and an ideal ontological vacillation. Here it is once again revealed that depotentiating God the Creator into an absolute essence block closed up in itself implies the impossibility of perceiving being as a gift. Indifferentiating being's kenosis in this way also forces its non-subsistence from our speculative view. Precisely because nothing can be external to being as fullness other than non-ends, insofar as God presupposes nothing in his communication of being as a material matter, receptive principle, being is not set off against the finite as against something other in relation to itself, but is rather a non-subsistence as a gift and fullness that does not cling to itself. In other words, being is not something outside the existing thing. The pseudo-subsisting ipsum esse, by contrast, possesses only a pseudo-fullness, since it cannot in fact exist in reality. Let us pose the question once again with all precision. How should being and nothing be convertible if this non-ends is always already differentiated from being? since nothing is separated from ends except non-ends. And to being, there is nothing external other than non-being. We might be able to say that in order for there to be any separation of being and non-being at all, there would first have to be a certain sameness or convertibility between them which would provide the condition of possibility for such a separation. But doesn't this simply posit a contradiction at the beginning all over again? 2. Elucidation of the origins of the convertibility of being and nothing and the Greek situation of thought. The question we have just posed is of the greatest importance. It compels us to dig a bit more deeply. At this point, we can enter more thoroughly into this theme by sketching out in broad strokes one of the basic moments in the development of Western thought that contributed to the development of the question at issue, namely, the process by which Aristotle incarnates the Platonic idea. So long as the idea was conceived in an essential manner as the really real, it was necessarily opposed to the nec quid, nec quale, that is, the non-essentiality of matter, and established on the far side of the chaos, the yawning openness of matter. Because matter was fundamentally posited as the principle of the multiplicity and the contingency of beings, by which is meant the material things existing in the world, the ontological character of the idea necessarily had to come to light in the fact that it secured itself against the multiplicity of the merely finite, already by virtue of its being an existing thing. For Plato, the idea, as forma, was not yet communicated from out of being's superessentiality. When we consider it in terms of essence, the power of the idea cannot manifest itself exhaustively in the sublation of matter. What form sublation of matter designates is both the form self-communication as well as its gathering up of the material multiplicity into the organized structure of the substance. Insofar as it remains an essential positivity, the positivity of the idea is not yet able to negate the matter's negativity. The form does not yet give the whole being. Matter is constituted in an otherness opposed to the idea. Because of the idea's positivity, 
this otherness is not yet transnihilated, crossed out and crossed through, and brought to manifestation in its nothingness. Thus, the separateness of the idea implies an ambiguity. Its power to be distances it from matter, while it will turn out to be precisely the same power to be, which remains still veiled at this point, that is capable of annihilating the otherness of the matter, of sublating it, and thus transforming the distance into an intimacy. The transnihilation of matter into the non-ends of mere potentiality is therefore nothing other than the idea's freeing itself from its being fused together both with matter and with its own essential structure. In this fusion, the idea is not yet itself in a positive sense. It is not yet mediated with itself. Even if the idea exists in an elevated sense, it is in a certain way itself only in an as yet abstract identity and therefore the idea remains entangled with its not yet entirely negated otherness as its limit. Nevertheless, the negativity of the other as other is already implicitly given in the idea's transcendence and self-being. If it seems at first glance that the idea secures itself against the merely finite and holds fast to this positivity, as a counter-reaction to the negative otherness. Since it lacks the capacity to negate the finite as the negation of itself in its self-actualization, it is nevertheless its transcendence in self-being that provides the condition of possibility that begins to open up the intimacy of being to the finite. The finite is indeed ultimately affirmed as finite only by the positivity of the being that doesn't cling to itself. The negation of the negation, both of the material dimension as well as the entire essential structuredness of being, unveils itself as the original affirmation of the finite as finite by being the independence that always belongs to it. The idea becomes fluid, able to become incarnate. However, only when it opens up to being and breaks through identity, insofar as identity is abstract and bound to non-negated otherness, or in other words, only when it is de-idealized or de-hypostasized. In this case, the essential limits no longer keep the neck quid, neck quale of matter at bay. This is precisely what is expressed in the statement that nothing more can be added to being that is extrinsic to it other than non-being. In this breakthrough, the merely finite is at the same time stripped of all restive forces, all the not yet negated forces that would affect being. But the finite is nevertheless not extinguished in this sublation. Instead, it is for the first time affirmed in its finitude by the intimacy being is now able to have with it. The incarnation of the idea, the emphasis on the cause secunde, the sublation of the finite in the infinite, in the negation of negation as well as the immediate, non-oppressive, liberating presence of God in the finite that lets it be, all imply one another. The incarnation of the idea in the finite and the sublation of the finite in the absolute are simply two sides of the same process. To be sure, this step into the superessentiality of being is not something Aristotle was able wholly to achieve despite the radical drive toward being as being, in which Hale transcends itself into the other, the human being transcends itself into the noose that supervenes from the outside, and the entire order of the world transcends itself into God. 
exemplified in the order of the general, which resides in him as leader and at the same time resides in the order of the army. Being as being forms the foundation of Aristotle's thinking. He made space for it in the mediating position he gave to metaphysics between physics and theology. Although this dimension did not become explicit as such, he nevertheless opened it up. It is only by virtue of the fullness of time in which God revealed himself in the absolute positivity of the Trinity in absolute self-mediation that the essential dimension of the idea as a medium inter creatum et in creatum was sublated into being as being and the ideal vacillation of being which measuring reason is always tempted to fix in place is overcome nevertheless in the age that followed the fullness of time the great temptation arose to transform the opening up of being into a past event by making supernatural revelation simply a theological a priori, fixing it, so to speak, as something that was unveiled once and for all in its total significance in order, thus, to get beyond the obsolete approach of the Greeks, who, it is said, still did their thinking in statu nature lapse. This fossilized opening of being as being, which is made a thing of the past, however, led to a substantialization of being in ideality and thereby to a new Greek situation of thought, to an absorption of being into the res or the essentia, on the basis of which the thing takes its name. For Aristotle, the forma remains the whole of a thing's being. Contingency comes from the matter. But the otherness, or the negation of being's positivity, takes on a different meaning in light of being as being, as it was liberated and open to thought by the fullness of time. Being as being negates negation in a complete way. The other is no longer left outside. Being left outside occurs when the power to be does not extend beyond the Platonic idea that still clings to itself and persists in its abstract and unmediated identity. But now the other is taken up into being in the mode of non-being, though of course not as something that would affect or determine being from the outside. The category of otherness gets reconceived here. The multiplicity of the ideas, the koinonia of which is permeated by the category of otherness that applies to the mundus sensibilis and intelligibilis, blends into the melting pot of being, into the perfectio omnium perfectionum. The fullness of the ideas is gathered up into being as completum et simplex par excellence. But otherness does not congeal into an otherness that is juxtaposed to the completum et simplex. Indeed, this would eliminate precisely the negation of negation. That is, its sublation in the ideality of being and would once again depotentiate being into something determined externally by otherness. No, otherness unveils itself in the non-subsistence of precisely this completum et simplex, which can never take hold of itself next to God, but rather comes to itself, is at home with itself, or subsists only in the variety and multiplicity of the finite. What it means, on the one hand, for the actus actum, that is, essay, not to be God is simply that it does not subsist in an ontological vacillation next to God, finitude. What it means for the completum et simplex not to be an entity, on the other hand, is that it is not finite, 
That is, it is ipsum esse per se subsistens, or God. By virtue of its being alone with itself, the idea still implies otherness as a remainder. Being's being alone with itself, by contrast, affirms the negation of negation simpliciter, for there is nothing external to being other than non-being. The idea's power to be is, of course, preserved in this and transcended into an ultimate fullness, while conversely the morphes, essential, limits are left behind. This is why Thomas says of non-ends that it is neither able to be form nor matter. We can understand the problem of whether the convertibility of being and nothing has to come before the division between being and non-being in order for the crisis of being's self-affirmation in its positivity to be able to occur if we consider the fates of modern metaphysics. We sought to show how the theological a priori held open the horizon of being as being and immobilized reason, which has always already been with being, in this exhaustively revealed dimension. Later we will explore all of this at an even deeper level. But it already becomes apparent here that this immobilization once again hypostasized being and reascribed to it the character of an entity, so that the actualization of transcendence toward being as being, in the movement of which Greek metaphysics has its place, collapsed back into the Greek beginning, albeit now in the medium of the theological a priori. The non-subsistence of being got lost from the view of speculative reason. The nothing, non-subsistence, was then introduced in order to bring being out of this new abstract identity. In this way, otherness was once again turned into something that determined being from the outside. The non-subsistence is thus posited as a good next to being and fused together with being in ideality. Being itself has not yet affirmed itself positively as itself. God comes to be affected by the nothingness of the possibilia in the divine intellect. Creation appears as the negation of this negation, and thus as God's freeing himself from determination by the finite. Contradiction is turned into the starting point of the speculative unfolding. The great temptation here consists in thinking that if God had always already excluded the nothing, he would have to congeal into a frozen essence block. He would have to make the actualization of his absolute affirmation a past event through the negation of negation and sink back into abstract identity with himself, an identity that leaves otherness outside of itself. From the side of the finite, the temptation appears thus. To be has to congeal into a res in order to avoid the things being continually swallowed up in the dimension of being as being, which is not. Being thus has to concretize itself constantly into a res through reason, which gives expression to this convertibility of being and nothing. Reason, therefore, has to crack open the reses in itselfness by means of the contradiction, in order thereby to bring the in itselfness to life, by sublating the truth as substance in the subject. The dynamizing of the negation that occurred in modern metaphysics out of a concern for the desubstantializing of being, however, itself stood within the fate of the hypostasizing of being. For the negation of negation presupposes God in abstract identity as mere essence and so as unfree for his otherness. 
just as it immobilizes substance provisionally as mere rays in which the superessentiality of being has been submerged and now has to be liberated. In both cases, being is itself as not itself in a positive sense. That is, it is constructed simply as a potential for absolute positivity, a potential that is able to be determined one way or the other. This is precisely the fate of the substantializing of being preter res, which was inevitably condemned to being's withdrawal into reason as a concept. For common being itself is not something apart from every existing thing except in the intellect alone. What we see here is that the non-substantializing of being, that is, the submerging of being into the rays, at the same time always also expresses the conceptualizing of being in reason. This logicized being, which Hegel inherited, and, despite its convertibility with the nothing that Hegel proclaimed in his logic, was therefore unable to be experienced as fullness and thought in a speculatively concrete manner. Man alone remained as the executor of the absolute contradiction of logicized being. Man is the one who allows the eschaton of the mediation of the finite in the infinite to come to pass in the reflection of absolute knowledge. Reason has, in this way, established itself as the place wherein all speculative unfolding occurs. It brings both the finite and the infinite to itself out of the univocal ontological vacillation of ends indifference and lets it be. What we said earlier about the dual unity of being's difference from the infinite and the finite has been perverted here into a dreadful similitudo. God has now discovered his self-mediation in the ontological difference between being and beings, which now begins in the contradiction. But because reason has substantialized being as a thing next to God, the absolute is thus affected in a manner that contradicts his divinity. The exinanitio of being out of the contradiction, being is nothing, is the act by which God resolves this affection and raises himself up to absolute freedom. But the exinanitio of being is not a linear extension of being into the existing thing. The necessary sense of being unveiled this truth to us. What we have in modern metaphysics, however, is contradiction, which assumes for itself the function of the necessary sense of being, that is, the dynamic of being as love, and ruptures the understanding's linear extension of being into the ends through the use of dialectic. 3. The twofold false continuity between to be and existing entities. But reason cannot pass from entities to essay through a continuous ascent. The attempt to establish such a continuity would mean nothing more than a unilateral extension of beings, a sublimation that would make genuine transcendence impossible. If reason falls to this temptation, then it becomes possible for it to liquefy the ends in such a way that the entire array of created beings would be dissolved into the fluidity of its supporting ground. With the result, in fact, that if one then took seriously the non-subsistence, all existing beings would be sacrificed to the nihilistic nothing. Whenever being is suspended in the vacillation, then the nothing, too, gets set in place. If the ends is reduced to this ground, it cannot but dissolve into the nothing. Conversely, there is also no continuity from being to beings in the sense that one would be able to characterize the finite as the ultimate 
crystallized and concretized extension of a universal being that pours itself out in an undifferentiated way. Because this being, so conceived, would have achieved the complete breadth of its selfhood in the totality of what exists, the ontological difference would thus become fundamentally transparent to reflection and so closed. Moreover, the outcome of this speculative a priori would be nothing more than the ontological myth of the eternal return of the same. In this case, too, if one wanted to take seriously the non-subsistence, one would surrender all existing reality to the nihilistic nothing. As the actualitas omnium actuum and perfectio omnium perfectionum, to be is formal with respect to everything in the thing. But to be is not only formal respect to omnium que in re sunt, it is also the actuality of all things. But if it is substance that is called ends in the proper sense, then the difference between being and beings opens up the relationship of the non-subsisting ipsum esse to the substance, which is called ends in the proper sense. For strictly speaking, ends is said to be that which has essay in itself, namely the substance. Thus one can say that essay is itself in the substance, and that the ontological difference unveils itself as the path by which essay comes to subsistence. In an ever more profoundly grasped return to its own, that is, to itself, in the finite entity. On the basis of the appropriative event of being's arrival into subsistence, the finite is fitted into evolution in the cosmic order that has its roots in being. The telos of this ordinance is man, who, as embodied spirit, is able to bend himself back from the outermost externality to the innermost interiority of his spiritual nature and who thus, in his return to himself, crosses the entire span of the ontological difference of the being that arrives in finite subsistence, and so comes into its own. Now, because in actualizing this subsistence event, man actualizes not only the difference between being and beings, but also the difference between ipsum esse and God. He thus becomes in this recapitulatio the one who interprets by himself the infinite loving presence of God to all created beings in a fateful way. It is just this actualization, however, that gets eliminated by the twofold false continuity between being and beings. 4. Being in Contradiction and contradiction in being, subsistence as telos. Being cannot cling to itself as being in the ideal horizon of the ontological vacillation. If finite reason fixes it within this horizon, being contradicts itself as a substantialized infinite actuality next to God. But it is not self-contradiction that sends hypostasized being into its finite or infinite subsistence. If we were to make this claim, we would fail to see it is only the infinite positivity of ipsum esse subsistence that sets the contradiction into sharp speculative relief. Indeed, any experience of being that takes being as in some way existing for itself and does not perceive it according to its pouring forth from God never understands being in its non-subsistence, and thus cannot avoid making it a substance. This is the great danger that besets Heideggerian thought. The whole difficulty lies in the speculative determination of being's self-mediation. If we do not risk the venturing forth into the dimension of being as being, wherein being is necessarily experienced as nothing, 
then the finite closes itself into a factically posited rays, which is no longer mediated and must be conceived exclusively as a result of the divine will's positing. It may at first seem that the only way to lead the insanity of substance into the mediation of a living, concrete identity, which would allow us to see the to be as manifest, not an ecstatic essence, but an operation, is to introduce speculative contradiction into it. But this takes for granted that being has already been submerged in the subsisting rays. It is not finite reason as subject, however, that first drives being out of the rays and into the dimension in which being is unable to cling to itself, and so enters onto the path out of the contradiction and into the res that is now coming to and arriving beyond mediation. The posited substance itself, as we will come to see, can never fully leave behind the dimension of the revealedness of being. The apparent speculative necessity of the contradiction in being results from the twofold congealing of being in the res and in the ontological vacillation. For the unmediated res implies that being clings to itself as being, and this in turn leads to an unmediated res. In this case, the reality and ideality of being fall apart from one another. This became clear in modern metaphysics, which therefore also proves to have had its roots in the speculative contradiction. What corresponds to substantialized being as being and the factical res is a positivity of God that has not yet been raised up to its absolute fullness. This was, in general terms, the situation in which Greek metaphysics stood, in which the finite was not yet absolutely mediated as finite in God. At the origin of modern thought, however, lies a grappling with an otherness that continued to determine God from the outside, which we saw in Greek metaphysics. The attempt was made to free this metaphysics from the status of natura lapsa on the basis of the theological a priori. The aim was to break open the rigid res that was closed in on itself and against God. Scotus had his eyes on Aristotle's causae secundae. But in the speculative act, which now draws its strength from the assumption of revelation as an a priori given, reason takes for granted this self-enclosed res as its starting point, so that the following triad becomes normative for the process of sublation. 1. The res in itself. 2. Self-withholding being, that is, a notion of being that refuses to empty itself, and the theological correlate of this, namely, man's disobedience with respect to God himself, or in other words, the status of a logos that has not yet emptied himself. And three, God, interpreted as not yet having revealed himself as self-giving love that presupposes nothing outside of itself. As we sought to show above, this triad therefore implies the speculative contradiction which was made possible by the theological a priori that was introduced in order to ensure the sublation of the finite in the infinite. This concept of being took for granted from the outset that the finite, precisely by being finite, was a res barricaded against God, and thus that the structure of participation made the ends fundamentally something that needed to be overcome. Because being was thus stuck inside of the res, mediating grace was forced to take its place. Scotus and Suarez, in this sense, fundamentally prepared the way for Protestant theology. This grace, from the beginning, thus had no other place to unfold itself 
but within the medium of essentialized being and of the contradiction. We thus see the history of thought that unveils itself in the temptations that confront us along our speculative journey. If we truly take the to be seriously, however, then we have to say that finite reason determines the contradiction in a speculative way, not by solidifying to be next to God, but rather demonstrating it according to the diffusion of its very processions out of God, and thus in its non-subsistence. What is at issue for being is its existingness, insofar as it is participated in by entities, according to the diffusion of its very processions out of God. But because it is only an existing thing that is called an in se esse habens, namely the substance which subsists, what is at issue in to be as act in its existingness is substance. If we experience the absolute positivity of ipsum esse subsistence, that is, God, then being unveils itself as nothing, as we have shown. But this nothing makes it impossible to project beings coming to subsistence into God as a mirror image of what happens in finite being. To do so would be to think that, in the movement into subsistence, by which to be achieves existingness, God too would come to himself by crossing the difference between himself and ipsum esse. It would, in other words, be to make God an absolute substance in the sense of an infinite entity. This would represent God as a causa sui, which Thomas rejects when he says, It is more true to say that God is above all entity than to say that he is entity. This ontotheological constitution of metaphysics, Heidegger, has its roots in the freezing of an indifferent ends qua ends at the level of the speculative contradiction. To freeze being in this way means that reason, empowered by the negation of negation that occurred in God's absolute self-communication in Revelation, that is, empowered by the transnihilation of the finite in the total reduction of the finite to its origin in the sense of a radical affirmation, places itself in the absolute beginning of all speculative enfolding, in which the being that no longer clings to itself exchanges itself for the nothing. This position allows reason, which has been inflamed by contradiction, to posit the absolute substance of God at the level of the infinite, and posit the finite substance at the level of the finite. Thought cannot undertake to begin in the sphere of ens ut seek without turning contradiction into an absolute that takes the place of being itself. The form that such a step takes in Hegel is the claim that nothing may precede speculation other than the entire presuppositionlessness of everything, while this presuppositionlessness is nothing other than reason's absolute position in the vacillation of being. In this case, the only thing left over for thought would be its absolute simplicity, essay as completum et simplex. Hegel therefore says, strictly speaking, this requirement is fulfilled by the freedom that abstracts from everything and grasps its own pure abstraction, the simplicity of thinking, in the resolve of the will to think purely, as he puts it in the introduction to his encyclopedia. But it makes no sense for speculation to come to rest in the absolute contradiction of being. Such coming to rest presupposes that the contradiction has already made being as being into an abstract fixed quantity, wherein even God falls under the dialectic of the contradiction. In this moment, however, everything is already absolutely decided regarding reason's speculative endeavor 
on the basis of hypostasized being in such a way that this endeavor is already fundamentally presupposed in substantialized being. Philosophizing speculation has in this way forfeited any genuine presuppositionlessness. The simplicity of thinking thus consists in obedience to the necessary sense of being. Essay est similitudo divine bonitatis. By virtue of which the ex inanitio of being relieves the distress of the contradiction into which thinking repeatedly falls and interprets the difference between being and beings. The contradiction which finite reason cannot avoid positing to the extent that it arrests being next to God, though it is never in fact able to leave the situation of crisis behind itself on its own, has therefore always already been decided. By contrast, when thought abstracts in a pure way through an act of freedom in which it grasps its simplicity and its universal presuppositionlessness, it ends up in the absolute contradiction. By accepting the poverty of finitude of the little way, that is, the path on which reason always already finds itself, reason unmasks the presumptuous simplicity of the beginning by following out this path reason empties itself in obedience to non-subsisting being in the sacrifice of this kenosis however god's absolute loving presence shines out and its light makes manifest the impotence of the hypostasis of being five Contradiction and being's movement into subsistence, the identity of being. There is a profound connection between the experience of the contradiction that results when being is placed next to God and the theme of being's coming to itself in the movement into subsistence. Being is God, or finite beings. This or, however, is not to be understood in terms of a speculative horizon that embraces both God and the finite. Conversely, it is also not the case that the dynamic of the beginning springs from the place of contradiction, which this speculative horizon would first have to break open. Being seeks itself as being, insofar as, speculatively speaking, it obeys its governing sense and is itself, that is, is in substantial unity with itself. But this coming to itself, on the one hand, harbors the danger of the twofold false continuation of being and beings. On the other hand, to say that being comes to itself seems to take for granted that being started out as not being at home with itself a presupposition that would harden the convertibility of being and nothing into an absolute beginning. That is, it would make the coming to be of the arrival into a result by sublating the contradiction. At this point, we are deep in conversation with Hegel. Although it is for lack of a better term, we nevertheless wish to attempt to interpret the difference between being and beings as an event of the movement into subsistence, insofar as it is only substance that can be called simpliciter ends. Being, accordingly, aims at its subsistence, precisely to the extent that it seeks itself. Because being is participated in by creatures, according to the outpouring of its emanation from God, and this emanation from God at the same time never takes place outside of God, the emanating being has always already been sublated into the absolutely simple positivity of God, without God being for all that subject to a process of becoming. The ontological difference is always already achieved as difference in God, in the mode of God, according to the phrase, in Deo Omnia Deus, 
Everything in God is God. If we take a more precise look at the sublation of being and its coming to itself, it becomes apparent that being as being is nothing insofar as it is the other with respect to God. Because God, in the pouring out of the emanation of being, does not empty himself into another, which he himself is not. But if God does indeed pour himself out in being, then what is poured out is always already what God is not, because God is always already what he is, namely, ipsum esse subsistens. Now, the identity of being thus unveils itself to us in this coming to itself. In the identity of being, the decision between God or creature has always already absolutely been made, and being is always already absolutely at one with itself. That is, it is itself, on the basis of the act of the movement into subsistence. This ought not to be understood in the sense that God's absolute identity and the creature's finite identity came to a decision at the transcendental level of contradiction. The difference between being and beings, as we will go on to interpret it, has to be sublated in the absolute identity of God as difference, so that being's arrival at itself in the finite subsistence, which thus actualizes the difference between being and beings, illuminates difference in the absolute identity of God, without God himself being dissolved into the processuality of coming to himself. If finite reason speculatively holds on to the dimension of being as being, and if it experiences it as contradiction, then reason at the same time brings to light that this contradiction and the difference that it implies rests on being's identity with itself. Only because God is absolutely himself is the ipsum esse non-subsistent. And because the finite, as ends, is always already itself in a certain manner that cannot be determined in relation to God by means of the maior dissimilitudo, esse preter omnes res exists only in intellectu, that is, as both completum et simplex and non-subsistence at the same time. If one were therefore to say that being contradicts itself within its ideal horizon and cannot cling to itself therein, then this contradiction arises for finite reason from being's identity with itself, precisely insofar as it always already is God or creature. The decisive point is whether reason keeps from coming to a rest in the contradiction, whether it avoids making contradiction the energy of identity and determines identity absolutely on the basis of contradiction. If the finite's identity with itself is what allows the speculative foregrasp into the dimension of being as being, and along with this the experience of the ontological difference, and then through it the speculative determination of the convertibility of being and nothing, then the unfolding of the movement towards subsistence is, so to speak, reason's return trip from its foregrasp into being as being, and as such the interpretation of the finite identity of being, which is now shown to be something that passes back and forth through the ontological difference. This interpretation can only be carried out if thinking opens itself constantly in listening obedience to the origin, that is, to the identity of subsisting being as being, or, in other words, to the difference in the absolute identity of God. This difference bursts open being's hypostasizing itself over against God. If God, by contrast, were an absolute and infinite block of essence, he would have to posit a being that is closed up in itself, since he would take back into himself every gift he has given, 
in his absolute self-mediation would fail to shine out in the ontological difference. This is the truth that Thomas has in mind when he writes this distinction of the divine hypostases excels every distinction in the order of dignity and causality and similarly relation which is the principle of distinction excels in dignity every difference in creatures not to be sure because it is a relation but because it is a divine relation it excels moreover in causality too since the procession and multiplication of creatures is caused by the procession of the different divine persons. Six, the movement into subsistence as via in ends in thought's temptation. First glance at the relationship between time and being. It is clear that the movement into subsistence as the path being follows into its existingness is not a motus. When we read that ends, simply put, is that which has essay in itself, namely substance, or ends is said, as it were, to be that which has essay, and this itself alone is the substance that subsists, then this path to subsistence is nothing other than the enactment in reverse of the dimension of the essay habens that has been opened up in the speculative grasping out toward being as being, that is, of the ontological difference, in which the participation in being exposits itself. We are thus asking how the essay habens comes to take its stand from out of the dimension of the ipsum essay non subsistence and into the concrete subsistere of the finite ends and its relative identity with itself. The movement into subsistence circumscribes the entire dimension of the essay habens, being's non-linear coming to itself, which is not initiated by contradiction and terminates in the substance, because the complete ratio entis is found in it. But if the ratio entis is unveiled in the substance, then it will be unfolded in what it is, namely, out of being's movement into subsistence, which means at the same time in the return of spirit, which is capax entis, to itself in its concrete subsistence. Now, a great temptation befalls us once again at this point, for Motion is not a complete being, but is a via in ends, a path into being. Can beings coming to itself be described as a motion of this sort? Can we call this being, which is convertible with nothing, an ends incompletum, which is now in via to its subsistence, insofar as it is en route to itself as ends? Is the movement into subsistence not this path of the movement of the essay in completum on the via in ends to ends completum, which is an essay habens? If in any event what is meant here is the ontological essence of motion in which time unfolds, then we have to ask whether being and time are ultimately identical. If they were, being would, on the one hand, proceed from time insofar as the form of time is nothing other than the form of motion, and therefore nothing other than the driving ground of being that comes toward the ends. In this sense, it would indeed be futural, even while in the ends it has always already been as the past. On the other hand, Time would proceed from being insofar as we interpreted the movement into subsistence as a motus and via in ends. This seems to open up for us the possibility of a fruitful engagement with this problematic, which we will formulate in Part A, Chapter 7, 
on ontological spatio-temporality. It will become apparent there that the dangerous temptations of thought that we must withstand can nevertheless teach us a great deal. We are already able to say, however, that to speak of being's movement into subsistence is never to suggest that an ends incompletum follows a path into its subsistence, because essay is no ends, but rather a non-subsistence. However, essay also indicates a completum et simplex, and therefore not an incompletum, since nothing can be added to it that would be external to it. We would grasp the movement into subsistence as a motus only if to be as the highest sublation of the ends takes on the character of the fact of existing, and therefore is no longer conceived strictly as actus quasi primus. In the motus, to be would then be established as a purely entitative transition. In other words, it would be taken as something that has ultimately always already been submerged in the ends, in the past. As ends in completum, being would, in a certain sense, have been in advance, that from which and toward which the movement into subsistence opens itself, namely the ends. The modus would thus have brought us simply into the twofold false continuation of essay into the ends, and vice versa. <laughs>